0: Welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg, and today's guest is an extremely, incredibly unique man. And I mean that in the best way possible. The guest today is Dr. Siri. He has a wealth of experience as a yoga teacher, as a marriage and family therapist, as a black man growing up in America, Uh, through the 60s, the 70s, until now. He has very interesting views on how the world works, how we can heal collectively, how to deal with intergenerational trauma, how we can change the world, how we can speak to God, how we can see the light in others, how we can hold space. This episode is really, it's just all over the place, And, and it's a powerful, beautiful example of how you can combine various means of understanding the world and unite them into a single individual who is transforming lives. This dude has a TV show. He does therapy with Katy Perry and various other Grammy-winning and nominated celebrities. He has a private practice. He's a speaker. And I think you're really going to enjoy his perspectives and his storytelling. Uh, it's a very entertaining episode and also a very enlightening episode as well. His perspective is valuable, it is wise, it is kind. And without further ado, Dr. Siri. Let me click some buttons here and we will just make a podcast. Actually, Dr. Siri, how do you say your last name? Sing... Dr. Siri Singh, is that how you want to be? um, No,
1: they call me Dr. Siri, that's
0: fine. Dr. Siri? Yeah. Okay. Well, Dr. Siri, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, Um, I'm honored to hear from you, to get an injection of wisdom into my ear bones. uh, (laughs) Well, (laughs) let's (laughs) hope. Here are some stories from a, a life well lived, it seems. I could try to introduce you, but I imagine that you have a greater depth of understanding of yourself than in my internet search. So for those listening, who are you? What's your deal? I know that you are many things. How do you describe yourself?
1: Well, I have been many things. I've had several careers. It's so interesting. I always thought that I would become more known through my artistic career as a dancer, choreographer. And um, I lost passion for that. And because uh, I had danced on Broadway, had danced with, on the Academy Awards with uh, Juliette Prowse at that time, danced with Donna Summers on television. And so I had a very, I was a working dancer, working choreographer. And I talked throughout Europe and had contracts in Africa and Asia. So I thought that was really my calling and um, some kind of way I got redirected. (laughs) And I found yoga and uh, I began to practice yoga in 1974. And uh, so from me, honestly, from my perspective, it's like I'm an OG, you know, and some, I'm, I'm really a yogi at heart. And, uh, you know, for others, it's like a hobby, but I really consider myself a yogi that I start every day with my yoga practice. Then I, at one point, labeled myself a yoga therapist <laughs> way back there where I was utilizing yoga to really assist people in the amelioration of their mental, emotional, physical problems. And, uh, and then I actually, no one will probably ever say that, especially the yogis, that yoga is limited. And I realized it doesn't work on the emotional well-being. You can be spiritually very evolved and emotionally not effective, not in tune. And so this uh, evoked me to go into therapy and psychology and counseling. And eventually I became licensed and eventually got my PhD in depth psychology. So it's been a journey.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you've had a few different lives. Mm -hmm. I imagine doing yoga in 1976, was it? 74. Uh Was a world unto its own. And I'm curious for your practice that you do each morning, how long is it? Is it the same one for decades?
1: Well, actually, there's one meditation that I've been doing for decades, but I've learned thousands, literally, of meditation. And each meditation has a different um, works on a different aspect of your being, Mm -hmm. and so I picked one that really cleanses my subconscious mind. uh, Will deepen me into oneness with myself and universal self. And I just sort of picked one and said, if I master this one, I think I got everything sort of covered. And but yet I do some yoga in the morning. I uh, was a Sikh. That's why my name is Siri Satnam Singh. And I was a Sikh. I committed to be a Sikh for years, and I eventually um, no longer really completely subscribed to the Sikh tradition. I took off my turban. I cut my hair, and it wasn't my doing. wasn't in, out out of any arrogance or any disrespect. I honestly had a healing crisis. And in this healing crisis, I had, I got a case of Bell's palsy. And, you know, I was looking like a monster. (laughs) My face, right side of my face, all paralyzed and eye drooping and mouth all twisted. And here I was just doing everything that I was supposed to do according to the religious traditions. I was up at 3.30 in the morning. I meditated for two and a half hours a day. I wasn't doing any drugs, any liquor. I wasn't eating meat. I wasn't having sex out of relationship. I was completely pure and righteous. And yet I came down with Bell's palsy and I was just very angry at God. I was like, what is going on? Why am I sitting here looking like a monster and I'm doing all the traditions of what I'm supposed to do? And the voice came back and it said, you always looking at somebody else. Look at your own damn self. And I was appalled. I was like, <laughs> and the angrier I got, the worse my face got. And When I went through the healing process of that, I realized I had a lot of anger. I was trying to be this little holy man and not get in touch with my feelings and learn how to effectively express them. I realized I was not of Indian tradition, which you know the Sikh religion came from. That doesn't mean that you still cannot be of that religion, but it said to me that I had to take all of the garb off. To still embody the consciousness of a spiritual man, but that I personally did not need all of that guard which separated me from others and some of the clientele I was to serve.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now that's not to uh, put down anybody that still honors the the the, uh, the, uh, the dress of the Sikh. Uh, That is their path, but my path was that I had to take it off. I had to cut my hair, otherwise. And then I did all of that and got back into myself, and my face came back. You know, yeah. Doctor
0: Siri, I have so many questions. (laughs) Well, I mean, how how did you find the Sikh? so to speak? Or how did it find you? You were doing your yoga thing, and then you decided to be a
1: Sikh. Do you mind diving into that a little bit, what that means? Well, the master, Yogi Bhajan, who uh, I learned so much from and I still honor, uh, was the master of kundalini yoga, and he was the head minister of the Sikh religion. And so he was actually three men in one. He was the master of Kunani yoga. He was the head of the Sikh religion in the Western Hemisphere. And then he was also the Mahan Tantric. He was the only man on the planet that could teach white tantric yoga. And so when you studied with him, which I did for 20 years, that uh, it depended upon how what resonated with you as to how what you know you got from him i got into the yoga and i also became a sikh that's the religious aspect and and so i'm still a yogi i am no longer can legitimately call myself a sikh because i cut my hair and i don't wear the turban the sikh wears the turban and you have your you have your 5 k's the kesh the kata the kesh is the uncut hair the kata which is you wear or the kachara the the underwear that you wear um the uh upon, which was sort of outlawed in a way, it's the knife that you carry. Um, because Sikhs will never attack anyone, but they will defend viciously the, the women, the weak, the children. So I'm no longer uh, in, in, uh, in alignment with the five Ks. I'm not trying to consider myself a Sikh anymore. But I didn't throw all of the teachings out. I still read my bodies, you know, like the Muslim has five prayers a day that they do. And the Sikh has five prayers a day that he or she does. And I still do several of those prayers because if it works, it works. <laughs> so, yes. So you, you kept what worked for you and
0: you discarded what didn't feel aligned and have kind of formed your own path. And expanded it,
1: yeah, I expanded it. I don't think I threw uh, the the garb I took away is so interesting. I wrote a letter to Yogi Bhajan when I went through this healing crisis. I said, sir, you are the greatest influence on my life right now, and I'm so grateful, and I'm so thankful. But I said, in communication with the divine, I have received a message that I have to take off the garb, the garb, and he said, I'm saying you will always be a Sikh. Says, serve people in love and God consciousness. You're fine, you have my blessings. And, uh, you know, it's like so interesting that, you know, a lot of people saw him as rigid. He was not, uh, he was not rigid. Uh, he was very disciplined. Um, and as a spiritual teacher, oh my God, talking about the real deal in terms of my personal relationship everybody has a different relationship my relationship is that that man was really in alignment with the divine uh i remember one time i was so depressed because he he could see he he had not just the eyes that we have and uh he didn't see your physical body he saw only your light body And one day he gave a lecture and he said, oh, I went to another level today. I was going to the bathroom and I walked into the door and I knew exactly what he meant because I had done this meditation. At one point I said, oh, I can't, I'm not a real healer. I can't see the magnetic field. And so I began to do this meditation to allow me to see the magnetic field and after about two months of practicing it at, at, on a daily basis, I began to see the magnetic field. The gift was given to me. And then so I knew what he was talking about. When you develop that ability, you don't see any of this physical stuff. You don't see, it's not, you don't see it. It's nothing but light. When they say there's nothing but light in God's creation, that's what they meant. You don't see this physical stuff. Of course, he did not drive a car. He had a chauffeur. So when the ability was given to me, I was getting ready to get on the 101 freeway. And as I turned my head to the left, the ability to see the magnetic field of the earth was given to me. And I couldn't see a car. (laughs) All I could see were lights and colors and and black face. I was like, oh, God, please take it away. Take it away. (laughs) And so in seconds, it was gone. And so uh, I haven't done that meditation since. (laughs) Unless I want to have a show for full time. And uh, so, yes, he was many, many men in one. And so I learned the. Seek tradition from him as well as the yogic uh, practice, and of course, I'm not the Mahan Tantric
0: now. And so you, I mean, I don't even know where to st- where to start with you, Doctor Siri. <laughs> you you were given a gift to see the magnetic field, and you had uh, what would you even describe that as when you were getting on the freeway? Some kind of a spiritual
1: epiphany of sorts, or a No, it was really, it's like, you know, if you practice yoga, it's like uh, there are many siddhas that come along with the real mastery of it. There's some yogis, I mean, very, very, very achieved are breatharians. They don't eat. They just live off of the breath. So those are called breatharians. And you get prana from the food. You get prana from the breath. And so... There are certain traditions, if you just practice, that's the Sita that comes. There's this meditation, the the magnetic field of the earth is that there was nothing but light. There's nothing but light. Mm -hmm. And that's all I saw was light. And that's how Yogi Vajan saw our bodies, nothing but light. And so when he said he walked into the door, he sometimes, he, he hadn't adjusted his vision and he couldn't see the door. (laughs) <laughs> so yes, it was it's a you know, so there's uh you know meditations to like their five uh, uh what do they call tattvas and Yogi Vajan had the uh the Siddha, the uh power over water, the tattva water. So one time, he was in India, and his teacher, he had 27 different teachers, and he had one teacher, and they were there at the Gurdwara at the practice, and he says, Vajjan, the older man to Vajjan, Vajjan, are you doing this? He says, yes, sir, we, we have to praise God and Guru. So they were at the Gurdwara in the temple, and it was raining everywhere, but over the temple where they were, because Yogi Vajjan had used his power to stop the water from over coming over the temple. And one time I was in his presence. This is a true story. May the ceiling fall on on me now. And if it does, then you know I'm telling a lie. We're gonna watch and see if the ceiling falls in on me. And I was in his presence. There were like six of us. And he says, these occult powers are nothing and he raised his hand in our presence, and it started raining. And he took his hand away in seconds, and it stopped. And we all looked at each other like, did that really happen? (laughs) Did that really happen? And uh, so I have come to understand in my limited uh, development in higher consciousness that if you really have a real practice, and you do it on a consistent basis, you continue to evolve in higher consciousness in that realm to where you didn't even know there was a space in that space.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You, you, you go to different levels of consciousness, like, for example, the ability for me to see the magnetic field. You know, then I, I was sitting one time with another yogi, and he saw the magnetic field of, of, of individuals all the time. And so we were there doing a Venus crea together and uh, where it's like we cleanse your subconscious, you face each other. And I was sitting there in his presence and I had united in him, with him, and I saw his magnetic field, which was like this illuminous eight feet of energy to the right of him and to the left of him. And it was like, I said, oh, I can't remember his name, I said, oh my God. I see your magnetic field. He says, Yes, I see them all the time. So that's why it's in the in the in the olden days, I mean now we take it light like, like parents, you know, don't want their children to hang with certain, you know, other kids or get into bad groups or gangs. And in the old days, really evolved beings, they would see another being coming that was not so evolved or, or really had some Darkness within their energy field that did not mean well, they would literally go on the other side of the street mm. so that their magnetic fields would not link, and they would be influenced by that darkness. so So is that similar to like a an aura or a vibe yeah, or just an yes, energy? An aura, a real aura. We all have an aura. Mm. We all got one. we just can't see it. And I developed our consciousness except we can see it all the time. It's there. And then sometimes
0: though we get a feeling, right? Like a hunch of, oh, that, that person's not to be trusted or
1: I, I yes. really like that person. Right? Oh, that's right. That's right. We all have, well, we all have the gift of intuition and some of us utilize it more than others. And that's our only protection is our intuition. Hmm. I how, can, yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I listen. I was going to ask, how do you cultivate your intuition? Well, that's through the meditation. You know, there are meditations to develop the intuition. There are meditations to open and develop the, the highest level of consciousness of each one of the chakras. I learned the meditation to offset the neg- negativity of an astrological chart. There are meditations to anything you can think of. That's probably a meditation for it. Mm-hmm. So that's I said I've learned thousands. But, you have, you know, you can talk about them, but you got to practice it. <laughs> you know, you know you, just by reading the meditation and knowing what it's going to do does not give you the seed of the power of the meditation. You got mm. to practice it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a common theme, at least in the work that I do and the clients that I see, is that knowledge is not sufficient. You've, oh, got, to, you've got to actually do some
1: stuff. Oh, please. There's knowledge, then there's wisdom. Wisdom comes is a is the state of of really knowing and. Knowledge is something you've learned, mm. but wisdom is really sitting in the knowledge and living it. It flows through you. Like the embodiment of knowledge. The embodiment
2: of it, yeah.
0: And so for you, do you have sort of an intentional path that you are striving towards, or are you simply showing up day after day with your mantras and your rituals and trusting that it's unfolding?
1: You really got it. I I don't know what is happening from day to day. I mean, my life just keeps unfolding. And I never thought I would have a television show. I mean, that wasn't in my consciousness. I mean, Mm -hmm. I even got the television show with no audition. They just called me up and said, you have a television show? I went, what? (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) I mean, and so that sort of... uh, that mass media presence has really uh, shifted my life world. Um, I, I, I don't know from day to day. I get, I have celebrity clients, which I'm very humbled to have. I, I honestly, if I'm to be honest, feel as if I have, like, we suffer for three reasons. Either getting involved with the wrong people, you know, like you can be hanging with, somebody as i did in my earlier life (laughs) i was just hanging sitting in front of a store standing in front of a store i had just made a friend and then i said oh man i'm not going in that store i'll just stand out here and wait on you and the next thing i know the police are coming putting a handcuffs on me because this friend has gone in and used the stolen credit card and they're trying to put me in jail because i'm with him you suffer because of involvement with the wrong people you suffer because of things that you do this lifetime. You know, like if you go and steal from somebody, somebody's going to steal from you. You know, you go nick somebody's car, your car is going to get nicked. It's going to come back to you. And then we suffer because of some scars. Some scars of which you come into the lifetime with of why I'm born into the family I was born into the, with the proclivities, the abilities, the talents, the challenges I have, uh, as does every person. The challenges, the, you know, like, so what I'm getting at is I think in the earlier part of my life, I was so concentrated with my meditative practice that I've overcome a lot of samskaras, mm. you know, the the, the soul lessons. And consequently, I feel like now I'm just floating in time and space. And I just wake up and, with an openness, with a sense of adventure of, of what today.
0: Hmm. And I've seen you speak previously about um, coming into this life as a black man with that unique set of challenges and circumstances. Um, is that one example of what you mentioned there?
1: Of course, that's a samskara, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Oh, why you're born white, I'm born black, I'm born a man with, you know, others are born women, uh, some are born with uh, physical disabilities. Yes, all of those are samskaras. It's the uh, the uh, the soul. We do have a soul. It's like when at the moment of death, it is said that the body is a quarter of an ounce lighter. And that's accredited to the weight of the soul. And so that is the, e- the eternal existence of our being. The soul is eternal. The soul goes with us throughout lifetimes. It 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 is eternal. That is the universal soul. This planet is thousands, billions of years old. Yes. So, yes, the, 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 we come in with life lessons. We come in with life lessons. And we and if you do the spiritual practice, as I have learned, if you do the dhanama, which is the spiritual practice, you overcome the karma. Hmm. Can you give an example of the dharma? Dharma is practicing the, the spiritual practice. That's the dhanama. Like every morning, I have for decades now been arising only if I was sick, not doing the practice, uh, doing the dhamma, doing my spiritual practice for a couple of hours a day. And, uh, it was so interesting. The last two weeks, oh my God, I was like, what is going on? I, uh, and I realized I work with an astrologer twice a week, twice a month, I'm sorry, twice a month and uh i went to her i know when things like that happen to me usually it's something even on another level as to why things happen. like that week i tried to gas up my car i have a new car and you just push the 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 door for the tank uh to get the you know to open up the and the door wouldn't open so i couldn't gas up my car So eventually, two days later, I had to go to the dealer to get it serviced so I could put gas in my car. Then the new car, I went to the grocery store early in the morning. I got a text, so I pulled over. And while I'm returning the text, the car stops. The battery has stopped on a new car. Well, it's a 2018. And it stopped. Okay, I had to get that fixed. Then I come home, my water... Uh, boiler is leaking okay I got to go call the home warranty to get that fixed okay I went into the bathroom uh, the sink in the bathroom was stuck I called the home warranty people they came they said there's something sir there's something in your sink we can't anyway a rat had gotten into the <laughs> into the plumbing $750 later they got new plumbing the rat out okay thank you very much okay I come home I have a padlock door a padlock on my door it was broke i had to get the home uh my you know handyman to fix that i was like what is going on and then so i mean this was all in a matter of just a few weeks i knew this had usually when this happens i'm tuned in enough to know this is astrological and sure enough i called my astrologer i said what is going on and four planets were in retrograde at that time and so what I did, I amped up my spiritual practice. I added something new. And since that, I haven't had anything happen to me. I had to, I had to get some protections like, okay, what I'm doing is not enough. Let me. And then there's even, like I said, there's a meditation to even offset. Like I've learned in doing the spiritual practice, you can offset the negativity of an astrological chart. And that's what I was able to do in that moment because it was letting me have it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the planets were letting me have it. <laughs> yeah.
0: And so how do you how do you do that? I, I'm somewhat skeptical in general. And I'm I'm seeing one one person take on four planets and I'm curious
1: about how that works, I guess. Is it a, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Well, I didn't think of it, you know, in sort of some kind of egoistic way of taking on four planets, but I realized this was beyond my limitation of being. So I went Mm. to the energy that created the stars and I I meditated and relate to the energy that creates the stars. I went to the source Mm. and I meditated practice. That's what I mean when you can get a meditation and all the astrological charts. So you have to have a real practice. Like for example, if you go to the gym and you want to develop your arm muscles and you just walk around a bottle of water three times saying, Oh, I'm going to develop my arm muscles this way. Someone is a little delusional and you don't have a real practice. I Maybe mean, if you go to a trainer and they say, do this lift every day, and this is gonna work on your muscle of your arms, okay, you got a real practice, I have a real practice.
0: Mm. So it allows you to go deep within
1: to the core of who you are, I suppose. Like The core of who I am, that which is greater than I am, you know, mm. uh, often things come through me that I consciously in my limited knowledge do not know. I go, Where'd they come from? And uh, like, you know, sometimes I can work with individuals and I just see them on Skype and before they say anything I would just go, God, who drained you? And they go like, oh my God, how'd you see that? Or I worked with one client the other day and she just came online and uh, I had never ever met her. And she's a real high tech lady. And she said, uh, you know, very powerful. And uh, and she says, Oh my God, we've only been working together 20 minutes, and I'm afraid of the next 30. You know? <laughs> so all of that is beyond me, you know? And I have enough sense and humility and grace for none of this to go to my head. Mm. Yeah, and it, I, it's out of my head.
0: It seems like also you've got this very strong spiritual, esoteric practice combined with the family relationship individual belief system like training as a psychotherapist Mm -hmm. so so you're almost this unified body of knowledge that dives into both the science and
1: the the light worker so to speak Um, yes that's a nice person i often get individuals to say I want to be just like you. And I write back and say, you can learn from me, but you have to master you. Mm. And uh, so, you know, we all go into different, we all have different paths. My path is not the ultimate path. It was the path that was right for me. It's the path that I I, I focused on, I, I uh, committed to, I, uh, incorporated the discipline, and so I have reached a level of development because I have committed and uh, to spiritual work. I did. I didn't try to fumble through school with my graduate work. I really read my books. I wrote my papers. I did my research. So I've come to. I know how to bow my head and uh, to learn from the learned. <laughs>
0: So that humility has been cultivated throughout your lifetime.
1: Uh, well, you know you get knocked down enough <laughs> I, read, I I read something from Mary Ann Williams one time. And I just always remember that. she says, "The last time I got down on my knees, I decided to stay.
0: Mm. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and so that also it seems like as a strong core tenant of your personality of your of your life of your work as well of the humility to recognize the other when you're working with them um the humility to recognize the systems that we're a part of the the culture the society etc so how do you humbly change the world so to speak well,
1: humbly. <laughs> humbly. <laughs> How do you stay humble
0: and then also claim your gifts and your power, I suppose?
1: Well, I do what I do and I, I, I you know, try to stay in alignment with what wants to be done through me. Hmm. Like, I think more can be done through me than I have an awareness of. And so I surrender to that, you know, it's, all right, so I wrote a book, okay. Um, I'm told it's it won an award that is going to be made public in August. I can't tell anybody until then. It's really a very uh, respectable award that it won. Um, I'm here in a podcast with you who knows who's going to hear this and be positively impacted. I started getting more involved on social media. I really, uh, you know, don't completely understand it, but I'm learning it, you know, that it does reach a lot of individuals. Uh, I, I didn't really get into a blog, but I started one for a short time and realized, eh, I don't think I want to do it. And, um, it's so interesting, when you work as a therapist with one individual you, and you positively impact that individual, you are impacting a whole lot of people. The whole understanding of particular of family systems is that if you work with one member of the family, you're changing the entire dynamic of that family. We, as family therapists, we understand that there is a virus within all of our families. For example, my stepfather was a functional addict. And I didn't become aware of the fact that I had an addictive personality. It wasn't to drugs or anything like that. But, I I mean, even religion can be an addictive, that you use something outside of you to make you feel good you know, with sugar at one point. Way back in the 60s, it was, you know, sex. Everybody was having sex in the 60s. And I became aware that I was a little emotionally disconnected more so than I thought I was. Mm -hmm. And um, so I lost touch with the question. What was the question there again? I don't even remember Dr. I don't even I went off. I was going coming back to it. It was uh, it was something about being humbly, humbly humbly humble powerful change it. So it's like in 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 working with one individual in a family, you're changing the whole dynamic. So in getting rid of the virus in a family, you're affecting that immediate family as well as their children and their grandchildren. Like I can listen to one individual and I can go, Wow there's addiction in your family or you were sexually abused and if you trace back that intergenerational family therapy that virus is in the family like some families everybody in the family like in my family dies of has died on my mother's side has died of cancer that's resentment i loved all of my relatives but we were You know that's holding in on an emotional holistic level. Cancer is comes about through resentment of holding feelings and not effectively expressing them. Mm -hmm. So you know, in working with families, that is one humble way in my one singularity of really impacting a lot of people. Of course, I've in in my younger years, I you know was into the. Protests and all of that, and you know, community groups and all of that. I've worked in social service agencies, a whole. So we just do what we do.
0: Mm. Yeah, and, you, and you've mentioned um, the protests and um, intergenerational trauma, and I feel like I would like to step into that door, so to speak, because right now around the world there's a lot going on where there's generational trauma being addressed in the streets there's sort of a virus in our culture or our society being exposed and there's a lot of uh there's a lot going on there's solutions being proposed and and i'm curious for your perspective as uh as a healer as a therapist as as a black man as somebody that can see the light in people uh what are your thoughts how do we move forward and and try to do this collective healing together?
1: I think white people need to, start to study Black history. I think we can start there. Mm. I think they need to study Black history as much as Black people need to study their history. And then I think that question will become a little less prominent of what do we do. I don't think they know what has been done. Mm. I don't think black white people really know the younger generation of what has been done of all the lynchings and the black code laws where a black person couldn't marry a white person, where we couldn't vote, where we couldn't even assemble. I think white people need to start studying black history. Let's start there. Let's start there. Hmm
0: it's a fair a fair point so that we're on the same foundation you on the same
1: foundation and you can quit and then it can stop being our problem Hmm. it's like uh, i find that white people are very uncomfortable talking about race because all of a sudden we become black and they become white and then that that is a tension of opposites And then I think black people do not enjoy talking to white people about race because they don't want to admit that anything is wrong with them. They want to feel comfortable. They want to feel safe. Excuse me? (laughs) Excuse me? So black people don't like entering that conversation because then white people get very defensive. Well, I didn't do this. For Now, we're talking about you individually, but you live in a society where it is fight solidarity and you're benefiting from it and you know nothing about the history of what's been done. And so you have to take a collective understanding of what has been done and quit taking this defensiveness that I'm not the problem.
0: Mm. Again, that comes with a massive dose of humility, it
1: sounds like from white people which we don't often experience (laughs) right no and that's perhaps part of the problem so it's like if you got white power you've got to understand you got to give it up Mm -hmm. and you got to get into some humility and understand how am i unconsciously contributing to the systemic racism how am i unconsciously benefiting from it because you're so much a part of it, you can't see it. Mm-hmm. Like for example, you know, and black people see it all the time. There's not one black person that escapes it. But just a week ago, just last week, my uh, young fellow who works with me on my social media, who I respect very much, he drives a 2020, because he's doing a, a 2020 uh, BMW, he got stopped by the police, and he filmed it. He was doing nothing. And the first thing she said was, is this your car? And the, he said, yes, ma'am. Second question she said, are you on probation or for parole? That was a week ago. I was working with an African-American gentleman not too long ago, and he was very jittery. And we're talking someone that's very achieved in his life and, and, you know, power man. And he was very jittery and looking around. I said, what's going on, sir? He says, with so much going on these days, I just saw some white people that I was just getting a little nervous. So, yes, there is no, you, you know, so if a black person, like I was just talking to someone the other day, I said, you know, I had someone visit me. I had a little social distance and gathering of two people. we <laughs> were sitting away from each other. And uh, one of my friends drives a Tesla. And uh, he came over, he came in the car, he came in, he says, oh, you know, wow, your neighbors looked at me like, you know, how on the nerve, I'm driving a Tesla. You know, little thing, you know, so we see it and feel it all the time. But so if an African-American black person says, I experienced this, and for you to invalidate, not you personally, for a, a Caucasian person to invalidate and say, oh, that just, you know, you're just being sensitive or, or you're, you're not looking at it right invalidates us and, and sustains the system of, white, of, 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 of uh, white solidarity, white supremacy, and the systemic racism. It mm. sustains it. So anytime an African-American says, I experienced this, da 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 you're to listen in grace and humility and not become defensive. Mm. And to understand that you're part of the problem. I don't care how many whatever you got black friends you got. You're part of the problem mm-hmm. because if you're, you're benefiting from it. And so until you learn some black history more than I know, then uh, I don't know. If I, <laughs> okay. Am I sounding? How am I sounding?
0: <laughs> you sound wise and wonderful.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I've been black many a decade. So mm-hmm. I've seen the civil rights movement I was here, Well, let's start before that. Let's say I lived in Jim Crow. Mm. So I have gone to bathrooms marked colored. I lived on, in, in Texas, that's where I was born, where we could not go on the other side of the tracks because that's where the white people were. I experienced the civil rights movements. I experienced segregated schools. I experienced we can come on down to the Watts riots. The uh, Rodney King, where I was aware with the Rodney King incident, up until that time, white people don't get go to jail for killing a black person. They're just now putting them in jail. Just now. We're in 2020. We've been here since 1600 and you've been killing us and you just now go, just now get charged. What can we do? Excuse me? (laughs) Okay, what can we do? Just now go to jail and still, we're waiting for them to be convicted for killing of taking a black life. That's still, like they beat the doo-doo out of Rodney King in the streets on video and they were acquitted Mm -hmm. excuse me what can we do Mm -hmm. is that the blind the 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 blindness of what of, of, of racism is that the blindness and the nonchalance the caring and it's only through when something gets riled up and white people become uncomfortable that then they start asking the question what can i do it's been going on for years. Mm. What can I do? I'm sorry. I got a little perturbed. <laughs> I like it. Get as perturbed
0: as you want. You are, you are allowed to feel whatever you are feeling on this podcast. Yeah. Um, so you've had obviously an extensive history through multiple decades of this stuff. Um, do the last few months feel different? To you, are you more optimistic than you used to be? Is it more of the same?
1: It's so systemic. I mean, like what I'm talking about is like black people, white people still haven't read a a black history book. I'm not saying generally, but you know, that's not part of your your race, your socialization. Mm -hmm. So we still are are working with black people having experience and white people saying, what can I do? Because they don't think it's a problem. The ones that are conscious, I know there are a lot of, Conscious white people that really want things to change. We can see in the streets these days. That's just not a black uh, mm. a, a protest anymore. There are a lot mm. of people in the street. So, this is the young generations, like, you know, also doesn't know the history. And because we barely even know the history. Mm. I just mentioned the Black Codes to some of my friends the other day, and they're like, what is that? And just, okay, the Black Codes, these were the laws that were written in 1865 right after slavery have you ever heard the black codes i have okay. but i'm
0: i'm eager for your lesson nonetheless well
1: anyway they were written right after the 18 after slavery to to maintain white supremacy and to keep the blacks in control and to validate racial inferiority and so i mean and those things Those those were the laws of the land, and some of that is still filtered and endemic within throughout the culture. Mm. You know, for example, you could not testify against a white person in court. That's almost happening these days, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: to where black boys have been killed. And our testimonies almost fall on deaf ears. What's going on? Black people couldn't be on the juries. I haven't investigated to see with these juries how many black people are on the juries. I haven't investigated that. I need to investigate that and see with all of these black boys have been killed and they have these court cases. Are there any black people on the jury? Yeah. I think that's
0: one thing that has come up recently or perhaps has come up more more recently, is the sort of subtle pervasiveness, the unconsciousness of the systematic racism that is occurring. And so it's not as blatant as you can't use that bathroom, you have to sit in the back of the bus. It's still there. It's just been codified in a very subtle, invisible way. And so I think for, speaking for me as a white person, I knew that it was bad. And I knew that it had been going on a long time, but only over the last several months of like really diving in. You know, like I had read MLK's biography and I'd read Mandela and I've, you know, watched some documentaries and I was like, yeah, I think I think I'm okay. But I really wasn't part of the solution. You know, I and I really didn't internalize exactly how terrible and all encompassing it had been across our society. And so that's something that's shifted for me. And I think from that standpoint, now I'm saying like, oh shit, like <laughs> I'm at fault uh, in many ways, even though I didn't intend to be at fault. Um, but now moving forward, it's like, okay, what do I need to do? Like, how do I, how do I help? How do I, how do I be
1: less a part of the problem, I suppose? And if I, you get as angry as a black person, That's right. Yeah. If you get as angry as we are, probably nothing will be done you have to get as angry as we are reading a book here and there is very conscious but if you read like history mm. as a black person you get angry yeah that when you as a white person and really get as angry as us then change gonna happen yeah And one trick that
0: i've been using to try to get myself into that mindset because i fully agree with you um particularly around injustice is i imagine like if that was my sister What would I, how would I respond? If that was my mother, like Breonna Taylor, like sleeping in her bed, cops burst in, she's murdered, nothing happens. Still, as of this podcast, cops are just out doing their thing. It's like, if that was my mom, if that was my dad, if that was my best friend, like I would be literally in the streets burning shit down as well. Like I'd be pissed. And so I think that that is a really vital suggestion to recognize that. that there are things at play that disadvantage people for no valid reason.
1: Mm -hmm. And so that's how, you know, I mean, just being white, you're benefiting from the system. You don't encounter what we encounter. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, I was working in a social service agency where I was in the black community where I was the lead therapist because I had more cases than anyone, not because I was black. I you know, I had a, a German teacher once. I am so thankful for her as a dance teacher. And she pulled me to the side one day. She says, City, I says, Yes, Ms. Dietz. Come here, City. I want to talk to you. I says, Yes, Miss Deets. She says, I want to tell you something. I says, Yes, Miss Deets. She says, City, I want you to get over in life. Not because you're a man, and not because you are a black man, but because you are good. I never forgot that. Mm-hmm. And so I don't walk into the room with my blackness trying to get over, but everybody sees me as black. Mm-hmm. I have I wanted these social service agencies as humble as I could. I was in one, I can think of this, where it was like the contract therapist and it was like six of us and we were the top in the agency there and we got all the tough cases and we were so elite that we got paid to even go to a meeting. And for six, seven months, I did not say one word in any of those meetings. Not one word. I went to that two-hour meeting and left. And on the seventh month, after the end of this agency, I said something. And those heads turned around like it was the exorcist. And at the end of the meeting, this one guy said, I didn't know you were so shy. And I knew words of wisdom can sometimes cut out my mouth. And I know in these social service agencies, they did not like a smart black man. And then they lost their contract. I had more cases than anyone. And then they could only keep one contract therapist. And this guy had been there longer than I had, okay, fine. And then they came up with a trumped-up charge against me so that he could stay and I would be dismissed. And then one of the other contract therapists, an older Caucasian gentleman, Kennedy, says, Siri, we all do that. I said, oh, so now you see it. Mm. It's that. Is that? It's that. I'm talking about in the black community, mm. but it was white owned. Mm. And then I decided I was not ever going to work with any other white owned agencies in South Central, because I saw how I was treated. Mm. And after that, I only worked with black owned agencies, and I was never disrespected.
0: Mm. What did that experience working in the inner cities with gang members and people who were severely traumatized, what did that teach you? How did that
1: inform your outlook? I always connected. I was, you know, middle class. I was raised middle class, but I'm black. I always connected. I connect with Jewish people. I connect with anybody that sits in front of me. Hmm. I, I That's not, if I have any asset, it's that. I'm, when I'm sitting with you as a therapist, I'm, it is the spiritual teacher sitting with the breath of God. Mm-hmm. I don't. I relate to what's sitting in front of your consciousness. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know, got, you're got bringing race consciousness in the room, you're bringing the family consciousness in the room, your soul consciousness. I'm dealing with your consciousness.
0: And when you see the consciousness and you attempt to connect with that do you have an intention when you're working with people to try to get through to them or help them see it from a different perspective or heal or are you just kind of
1: channeling and i witness i witness and training interns, you know, interns are getting therapists. They want to, you know, the client says, Oh, da, 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 and they want to jump in with some kind of, you know, brilliant interpretation or, you know, some insight or you should. Da, 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 da. No, I sit and I listen. It's all about the client and I witness. And then, so I gather information before I have the wherewithal to make any kind of comment. Now, my intuition's in the room, but I, I love that, that, that term witness. I just witness.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I think to be on the receiving end of that gaze is potentially unnerving, because they're perhaps being seen for the first time or one of very few times.
1: That is uncomfortable at times. Uncomfortable at times. I said to one client the other day, I said, it's very uncomfortable to sit with this, yet at the same time, comforting. Mm. It's uncomfortable for me to be able to penetrate your guard, although I don't do it in a inappropriate way. I don't violate people's boundaries any further than they feel safe. Otherwise, you don't feel safe. Mm. So I don't go in any further than you feel safe, but you still know I can see. (laughs) (laughs) And that's I I play crazy (laughs) well.
0: But that's that's perhaps part of the the healing or the mastery is getting through their guard and yet being safe and letting them feel that safety, right? Even though they have their guard up. Is that
1: Yes, 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 you have to make, the, the client has to feel safe otherwise they're not going to come back. They don't want to be there. <laughs> you know, if you don't feel safe with you. That's mm. the first thing you have to, you know, and, and gender is, is a, a, a safe environment, you know, mm. and, and was it in object relations, they call it a safe holding environment. You have to create that mm. before healing can take place. Does that
0: same principle scale up when we're talking about healing a society or a culture that's
1: torn apart? Well, what levels do we go? You know, there's legislation. There's a level. There's education. There's, you know, there's um, there's the streets. The streets, they're toppling statues. I
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, there's uh, the healthcare system, you know. So, uh, you know, there's, you know, getting in positions of power, you know, it's, it's so many levels to go at it. I mean, this systemic race summit, she's no joke. She ain't like, you know, we're just going to lay hands on you today and you're going to be healed. Oh, no. This is a very intricate, well woven you know, system that is going to take years, I think, to really completely, Mm. you know, uh, eradicate, you know.
0: Yeah, we've got a lot of momentum behind us, don't we?
1: There's momentum. I see, you know, like, for example, after the Watts riots, what I saw personally, and it's like, I see sometimes individual African-Americans benefit. And I see some systemic changes in the system you know like for example those that are in you know have certain credentials they are often in place to benefit mm. and be part of the system you know at a in a more powerful place um i've seen of course some you know, like affirmative action some laws are change you know all, so it's like each. You know, but it's, it's, it feels like sometimes it's just several pebbles in this big ocean of racism that we're just throwing pebbles in. You know, it's it's really very, yeah, it's going to take consistent, concerted effort mm. in all aspects of this system, the education, the legal, the healthcare, the uh, mm. social, you know, like, you know, you know, we still live in segregated communities. Mm. <laughs> I'm not saying that we should live but I'm just saying I'm just pointing that out.
0: Mm. I mean economically or economically, general, socially.
1: Maybe we feel safe with each other, you know. It's not really a integrated society. Not really. Mm. You know, to where we're just, you know, it's it's like what is that? Uh that candy. I don't really eat candy. That candy they got all kind of colors. You know what those candy those Skittles? Skittles I, or whatever. So I don't, I don't know. That. I don't eat candy. I, think. I eat candy. <laughs> but can you imagine just putting your hand in and having no prejudice and just the red is just as good as the yellow is just as good as the red. We're not there. No. We're not there. And that may take a minute to get that where we really it's just, oh, wow, instead mm. of, oh.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you talked earlier about a potential first step being learning about history or reading and, and these kinds of things, do you have any recommendations for
1: books or teachers or resources that you suggest? Well, I don't. I, I did read that White Fragility. It's very good for a Caucasian person talking to other Caucasian person, you know, okay. about the... Uh, defensiveness and how they, you know, how Caucasians are very uncomfortable in talking about race. What they unconsciously do to maintain the white solidarity. I thought it was very profound. Mm-hmm. And then I read, you know, white like me years ago is also a very uh, Tim Rice, I think his name. He's a uh, he's one of the uh, earlier uh, advocates uh, who's also Caucasian. That and I think you know. You know, getting in there first, realizing that you have not escaped, as a white person, as conscious as you may be, the white solidarity, the white supremacy. You have not escaped it. Mm. And then you got to start reading some black history. Yeah.
0: I remember, actually, you brought up Marianne Williamson earlier, and I saw her speak last year at an event, and she was discussing slavery. And she was discussing the abolition of of slavery. And she said that at that time, there was a lot of people who didn't own slaves and they didn't like slavery. They didn't agree with it, but they didn't really speak up. And she said that slavery ended because of the abolitionists. It ended because of the advocates. It ended because a lot of people weren't just, um, they were part of the solution um, so the, the, the phrase to be like anti-racist rather than just not racist, I suppose. Does that make sense?
1: Action has to take place.
0: That's yeah. what I'm
1: hearing. Action has to take place. The abolitionists were very active. They were the activists.
0: Yes, and I think in this regard, and perhaps what she was alluding to, was if we are not, as, as white people, using our voice, then we are also part of the problem. Like exactly. si- silence
1: is complicit. Exactly, and then validating yourself because you hired some black people in a job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or that you have 10 black friends. You know what I mean? You know, uh, in, in other words, taking yourself out that, that you're not part of the problem. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's the system. It's really the system. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that
0: same thing that you said with your client is I feel like there's a guard up Oh and, yeah. and when you consider these truths, you're letting that discomfort in, but in
1: some way, exactly, it, it has to be comforting because exactly. because it's like you know in our psyche, racism is bad. So if I'm a racist, it means I'm a bad person, mm-hmm. and so they can't get you can't get out of the binary system. You know, it's so interesting, like uh, that. The, the Amy Cooper incident. Are you aware of that one?
0: Yeah, this is the I, woman in Central Park that oh called the police and said a black man. she had the nerve
1: after that to say that I'm not racist. I'm like, I think she said, I'm calling in on an African-American man. She didn't say a man. Who's threatening my life. An African-American man who's threatening my life. Now, if that isn't racist, then yeah. what is?
0: And then, and for context, if you're listening, the the man was a bird watcher who had asked her to put her dog on a leash. I believe. Exactly.
1: And then his consciousness, I'm like, wow. She, he, I saw that he doesn't even want to press charges against her. He said that she's lost her house, she's lost her reputation, mm. she's lost her job. She's suffered enough. I'm like, wow. What a graceful because mm. well, yeah. she certainly didn't have that intent towards him she certainly did not tell what she didn't want to. she was trying she was, wanted harm to come to him yeah so i he was his name is christian cooper so he was really embodying turn the other cheek
0: mm. yeah <laughs> so, well, it was a beautiful example of compassion in action i thought yeah. and like and i think that's how things start to shift because yeah. it gets away from that separate me versus you, mm-hmm. good versus bad thing. And we kind of unify in a way. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Siri, I'm conscious of your time. You've given over an hour now. Thank you for your words of wisdom and all that you do and are. are there, is there anything we haven't covered that you... Oh No. no. <laughs> it's enough. <laughs> enough.
2: Enough.
0: <laughs> And I will, um, I'll include links to the books that you recommended and I'll include links um, to your Instagram, which I believe is Dr. Siri now.
2: Yes. Yes.
0: Um, and your website and all of that. So if you're listening, you can click on the show notes and check out more of Dr. Siri and your TV show that was briefly mentioned. Do you want to just say what that's called and how people can find it or what it is? Well,
1: on the ther- it's called The Therapist. And uh, it was on Viceland, and I'm, uh, it's on YouTube now, uh, all of the episodes where I interviewed uh, Katy Perry and uh, other celebrity musicians,
0: and uh, Well, so, you didn't necessarily interview them as much as- No, like I did actual therapy. Make, make them it,
1: cry. It was, <laughs> it, was, it was real therapy. <laughs> the dolls tried to run. <laughs> <laughs> and those three eyes, all right, they're like, Oh well. But you do it so gracefully, you know, you, you and and it's like I still do not uh go beyond one's guards and boundaries. It's mm-hmm. like I can tell when they're saying I'm scared, but come on in.
2: Mm.
0: Versus okay, that's enough. We'll save exactly. it for the next <laughs> the next session. Exactly.
1: <laughs> that comes in my psyche, I do not go any further.
0: Yeah. And it's a, it's a fun, I watched a little bit of uh, yeah. the episodes. You've got clips on your Instagram. It was pretty amusing to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do check that out. Uh, okay. Dr. Siri, Bye. thank you again. I appreciate Bye. you and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you very much. Who right. I warned you that dude is very knowledgeable and supremely interesting. You can check Dr. Siri out in the links in the show notes. I've included his his Instagram, his website, the therapist TV show that he does, as well as those book suggestions. Dive into this stuff. It's super uncomfortable, and it's hard, and it is also really powerful and important that we do the work together. And I love how he talks about using compassion to connect to one another, to uh, seeing each other's consciousness, to holding space for each other's hard truths, to sort of getting around the guard into the heart of the matter, the heart of the human, and trying to unite and connect and evolve what we've got going. So thanks for listening. I appreciate your support. I appreciate the kind words, the five-star reviews, etc. Go and do the work. Go and have some fun, and let's try to make this world better, okay?